Welcome to the podcast. Come be part of the conversations that happen around my kitchen table. He's John Brannion, and he's been a stand-up comic for more than 30 years. She's Amanda McKinney, and she's been my daughter for her whole life. Our family believes laughter is a gift from God. We often discover it while discussing culture, faith, and family. So go ahead and pull up a chair, neighbor. Can I call you Carl? There's plenty of room here for you. Hey, welcome to the table, Carl. Welcome to the table, Peaches. Mm. Thanks. Welcome to your table. We've been here some today. Mm-hmm. There's See? school everywhere. Outside, there is machinery tearing up the yard. Yeah. And in our hearts, there's a song. Got a good view of that devastation from here. There's a lot of devastation. Luke will be glad that's that they're called like progress. Com- they're chopping up the stumps, though. They're grinding the stumps, which he wasn't sure they would do. Mm-hmm. So. It's progress. They're making progress. Ugh, Tearing so up the yard, knocking down trees. We live on an stumps. easement, which probably probably our friends in the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network already have some opinions about that. If I'm you're sure upset about property taxes, imagine paying property taxes and still... Not being able to use the property. And still having government officials being able to just decide when to take down 200-year-old trees. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's literally what's happening. Your, your yard is mostly easement, right? Is that yeah. my understanding? Yep. It's big. It's like half an acre out there. Oh, it's a whole acre. It's a whole acre out there. Yeah. Which is two halves of an acre. Mm-hmm. So I was half right. It's four quarters of an acre. It's, it's eight eighths. It's eight eighths of an acre. Of an acre. Mm-hmm. Ten tenths of an acre. Yep. Uh, we could go on like this for a while. Let's do it. We could go on like this infinitely. Yeah. Numbers are numbers are infinite. So there's your homeschool math lesson for today. Well, yeah. There's uh there's also history right there. Oh no, that's math. And mm-hmm. then that over there I think is spelling, maybe. What's that say at the top of that one? It says uh spelling. It's yep. spelling. So we've got spelling, we got math, we did our science in here while and we've got progress Play-Doh. going on outside. Uh, we've got the thing we're trying to ignore outside. Okay. Well, there was some scuttlebutt this week. Or actually, it'll be last week when this comes out. But uh, I think it's worth mentioning that there was a sentiment that our buddy Jason Farley put out into the mm-hmm. world. Yeah. Mentioned to the world that the church is, uh, I, I think he said, used the word cause, right? And you say that the, co- the well, church is the cause. specifically Baptist theology. Yeah, Baptist theology yeah, is, Baptist the theology is the cause of, trans- of the transgender uh, ideology. Ideology. Yeah. Culture. So that and caused some frustration. It caused some frustration. But really, okay, so now Gabe has written a blog post about it. Mm-hmm. To- Toby wrote a follow up blog post about it. Actually, Toby and Knox did a follow up podcast slash. Right, mostly like damage it. control, right? Just sort of, here's what was said, and here's what could have been said, and here's what here's what we're not taking back, you yeah. know, sort of. And I so know. I don't necessarily want to. I don't necessarily want to unpack that. What what I liked about it is the idea that the church is, uh, the, the church all the time talks about influencing culture. 
You know, our church talks about that. We want to in, impact the culture. Impact is the word that they use. Are we making an impact? Impact. Right. And uh, they want to impact the community. We want to impact families and impact people's lives for Jesus. You know, we really, we really don't have to do everything <laughs> as many times as we can. But that's the. But that's the. The the place where a lot of churches are. I mean, that's where they live is impacting. I think you're impacting some nerves. People's right now. lives. Impact. You're having, you're having some kind and of thing a is, effect, and I'm not sure the thing it's is, a good one. If you want to impact people's lives, then you should be prepared to take some responsibility when you're, when people are not okay or when you're, when your ideology, when your impact has some negative consequences. Uh, yeah. And but here's the thing, though. We're not talking about the church at large, and that's what I think is stinging. It's like the specifics. It's really easy to say, sometimes we do things wrong. Sometimes, you know, we're not perfect. But here is a very specific example of something that, for example, Impacts. certain Baptists oh. are guilty of that, you know, maybe a Catholic or a Presbyterian wouldn't be guilty of. Right. Because it's, it makes people feel good when you're like, we, we struggle with this. We I struggle know with where that. Okay, I know where you're going. So <clears throat> so you're differentiating. Right. We're comfortable with the idea that the church the, the is church responsible for some ill. At large, in general, all of us, all yeah. of evangelicalism. But when you get down to the brass tacks and you're like, okay, so specifically let's talk about what, the cause and effect has been in various regions. Let's talk right. about education. Let's talk about healthcare. Let's right. talk about politics. Like, let's talk about all of these different sectors of society, and let's be really careful to distinguish between who specifically <laughs> between who's responsible is doing this thing that we are criticizing. And who's not? And and yeah, like in this case, there is a there are assumptions being made by. Certain groups of people, and and the struggle with the cross politics guys, including Jason Farley, was was trying to come up with a way to talk about this group of people in a way that was clear rather than just causing more like confusion. Right? Like, how do you right. how do you label them, or what word can we use to denote what we're talking about here that's not going to immediately be misunderstood and like you know upsetting people? Um, so he chose the word Baptist at one point, but he even said it's Baptist theology secularized, and he also was specific that it was not Reformed theology that he was referring to. It's right. like an he American was, he was version. narrowing the demographic. An American version of, of credo-Baptist philosophy, which basically teaches people, kids, to come to the altar during an altar call right. and choose Make to follow Christ. Make a decision Christ. for Jesus. Choose to put your identity in Christ, right. and that's something that I'm very familiar with because yeah, that, me too. Like that Baptist, those Baptist assumptions were very much we, part of my upbringing. We are not. Uh, I have never identified specifically as a Baptist, but that theology is part of is part of our church, right? You know, we we have adopted that, and then we and then we have the audacity to then distance ourselves from the Baptists on other things and and but we we've embraced the whole you age of accountability thing you right. you're old enough now to make a decision and quote know what you're doing when you decide to become a right. christian 
And so I've evolved a little bit on that position. But I think, yes, I agree with you that we are, we're comfortable saying, well, we all have a problem here, meaning everybody who identifies as a Christian, everybody across denominations, everybody, we all have a problem. But when we start to say you have a problem as a member of this particular denomination or holding this particular belief. Yeah, holding this particular belief. And that's the thing it, where it gets where it gets awkward and uncomfortable is most people are not prepared to discuss the things that are wrong with their camp, you know, with their tribe. Because it's entirely possible that there are people who are members of the American Baptist Church, whatever group we want to call right. them, who don't have that same. I didn't even philosophy. know that there was a difference between, like, I didn't know there was a technical term for what I now understand to be pedo baptism and credo baptism. I wouldn't have been able to tell you that my church is a credo Baptist church right. until like a year ago. Right. Like, I didn't actually understand or have the words for it until then. I well, knew we knew we weren't pedo Baptists. I knew there were people who baptized kids. I didn't know there was a fancy term for it. Like right. I would say that church baptizes their children, and we don't. We wait till they are old enough. Until to they're old enough to understand what they're doing for Jesus, and make a decision. And so, yeah. so it's a little bit. It's a little tricky when you try to start picking things apart. A lot of times, these are like assumptions people are making that they've never even had any light sh- shown on at all. Sure, sure. And, and so, I'm one of those people. Yeah. You know, I'm one of those people. I, I have, I grew up in a non-denominational, at least that's the word we use, an independent Christian church slash church of Christ. But even there, you've got the uh, instrumental and non-instrumental, you know, so it's been even divided further. We were. Yeah, but even then, <laughs> you've got individuals in every congregation who probably don't know what the church belief, right. the statement but the of belief staunch, says. The staunch uh, no, no questions about this. No, no room for wiggling. Is that there is that baptism is quote unquote essential for salvation, right? In our denomination, and it is not something that you do with children. But again, that there's always an age of accountability, and you make a decision. You right. you grow up in in you grow up in church, and this is how this is how I grew up, and and then you you are old enough to understand what it means, quote, and I'm putting this in all in air quotes, what it means to follow Jesus, and you right. make a decision that you want to do it. Right. But my, my parents did not uh, did, did not arrange for me to be baptized. I wasn't baptized as right. an infant. I was baptized when I indicated that I wanted to be baptized, and then there's a question and answer thing that you go through, where, and, and it varies wildly, you know, among individual congregations, where you have a, a heart-to-heart with the youth minister or the the senior minister or elders or whatever leadership to find they ask you probing questions to find out if you're ready to make a commitment to living your life uh for jesus right but i want to go back because you said that the no wiggle room for our denomination is that baptism is essential for salvation and the thing is I would say, because I now understand... I'm using their terms, by the way. Right, but what they don't maybe understand, and that I now do understand, is that pretty much every Christian believes that baptism is essential for salvation. But the question of, what do you mean by baptism, then, 
comes into play because everybody believes that Jesus commanded us to be baptized and everybody believes that we were baptized by the Holy Spirit at conversion. Right. And everybody believes that you must be baptized the way that Noah, the flood, you know, represents baptism, which right. saves us and That's saved him. And first Peter. People know this. A lot of people, most people maybe know that. And so they think baptism is essential for salvation. But then the question is, do you have to be water baptized? That's what we mean in right. our church when we say it. we mean baptism right. by immersion, not sprinkling, but you are right. baptized by immersion. Right. And that is that is integral and essential for Backward, your salvation. one time because it looks like you're being buried in the ground that way. Yeah, not there are some, they, that's uh, my church. I never went to a church that was that specific, but I know there are churches that are Right. That the direction that you go into the water is uh, is, is important. Important, but what so. I'm saying is, what I'm saying is that even until last year, there were terms in, in this very conversation, terms that we've used in this podcast already that mm. I did not even know, and so it can get complicated. But what I did know then, and the only thing that I really feel like adding to the the conversation now is my own experience and my own my own testimony with what happens when not if but when the children of these families that I grew up with walk away from the faith. Right. I I know and have known many right. many many people my own age who went to school with me and they sat in the same Sunday school classes and they attended the same Bible camps. I I had a friend who I even met at Bible camp, who was a year older than me, who made a decision for Jesus and mm -hmm. was baptized in the pool at camp. Uh -oh. I don't know what happened. He was just walking through the living room Did and then... Did you your head? What? I didn't, even... no, 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 I, I didn't even see what he hit his head on. Okay. What? Colin something. We're going to have to pause so I can uh, decipher so this. So we can figure out... Uh, okay got to the bottom of that there solved problem solved i'm sure that's the last time i'm ever gonna have to break up a fight between you can brothers <laughs> you can relax carl you can relax carl it is peace and tranquility here now so mm -hmm. and i'm sure it will stay that way oh here comes silence again <laughs> hey, buddy. Emily, what? oh it's emery this time uh-huh i'm sorry i'm sorry carl i was wrong i thought i genuinely believed that the with all of my heart that tranquility was going to reign for the remainder of this podcast. I had no Here's idea. Here's my verdict. Is everyone ready? I had ready? no idea that chaos would come back so quickly. As Carl is my witness. We're not building any more walls with the pillows. Silas, your option is to go sit on your bed and read a book or go outside. What do you choose? What do you choose? Okay, go then. Put on your shoes and go outside. There he goes. Please stay in the gate where I can see you from here. Yep. Stay away from the heavy machinery don't go, making progress. Don't go drive a backhoe. Don't don't start and Open operate on a backhoe. Your shoes and go outside since that's what you're choosing. But your brother's out there, so So you may be going out of the frying pan. Steer clear. Don't you give him his space and you keep your space. Neither one of know. them opted for reading a book up in their room. Well, I'm I actually thought Colin might, because he has been reading those diary of a wimpy kid books just one after another. Well, he's the problem is that you just tear every, through them pretty quickly. Right. Every two days he's mm -hmm. done with a new one. There's quite a few of them, but a voracious reading boy can go through them in a matter of uh, just a week or two. Just a few hours. He's done with them. Yep. Anyway, I don't know what I was saying. I was saying 
I was saying that I have many people that I've gone to school with or I went to Bible camp with or yes. I, I was in youth group Who with. Who made a decision for Jesus. Yeah. And I knew even then, I was like, this is total impulsiveness. Like, they, this is how they do everything in their life. They're mm-hmm. extremely emotional. They show up at church. They get swept away in the music. They decide it's going to be the cool thing. Somebody else is doing it. Their best friend is doing it too. Mm-hmm. So they're going to go down to the front and everybody's going to look at them and everybody's going to congratulate them. And that's what they need more than anything because they're attention seekers or because they have no, you right. know, nobody in their life who really gives them. Nobody pays any attention to them. Yeah. Gives them what they need. And so they, they find that at church, they find this like family, this community, this these people who give me attention at church. So they do whatever it takes to yep. get the applause from those people. Yep. And then a couple of years later, they're, they're coming gone. out as gay or they're right. now, you right. know, they're an atheist because, or both. Or transgender <laughs> or they're a gay transgender atheist. Yeah. Because that's the next thing that it's going to take. Well, because you get attention, attention for that too. Right. Then, then you can leave the church and you get attention from people outside the church and they want to hear your story of deconversion. Right. And how abused and, and right. uh, oppressed you were. And, and to, my, to the point, the point that was being made in the discussion about you know, how the theology leads to that ideology. It's the parents' reaction after that happens that makes me the most crazy, makes my eye twitch, and makes me want to kind of throw things, makes me want to throw my NIV Bible over the table at the heads <laughs> of some of these parents. Because 1984. Because kids walk away. And, and these, I'm not talking about kids who just strolled into the church because, you know, they their parents are completely gone. They're in jail and they're drug addicted and they're not around. I'm no, talking about don't ones, we know some of those? I know some of those, but I'm talking specifically about the ones who were raised in church by their supposedly Christian parents. Right. And when they walk away, the response from those still attending church, the parents who still go to church is a shrug and a, well, we did the best we could do. There's nothing that we can do to force them to do what's right. Right. All we can do is pray and love them. Right. Now, we are we are saying this as people who are actually still members of yeah. this uh, this church. So, we, like, we, we're, we're not talking about a church that we've heard about or a church that we used to go to. We're not to. even talking we're about talking a single about church. You keep bringing it current... back to the one that we're going to now. I'm talk- I have gone to or been a member of... Probably a half dozen churches. I, the church that was that Luke and I right. My, graduated I get it. My point from, is that we're being critical of our own group. We're right. not. We're not standing our outside throwing rocks at it's, them. There's this a is, church camp that my kids still go to that I went to as a kid, which is a collection of probably fifty to a hundred different churches right. and, and congregations. There were probably you know twenty to thirty of them represented in the, the high school that Luke and I met in and then graduated from mm-hmm. because it was a, a Christian school. So it's a cooperative you know environment. A plus, hive mind. Plus the church we go to now. Plus you know dozens of churches that we've been affiliated with through right. other ministries. Well, you know. and a sideline to your point is that all of these churches do not identify as the same denomination. They're right. not all Baptists. They're not all Christian. They're, they're not all they're not all of a particular stripe right that's but they have this the, in common it's the me, it's the ideology behind it it's this this philosophy that Jason Farley and the cross politics guys are struggling to give a label to because there isn't necessarily mm-hmm. a label other than maybe the pedo Baptists versus the credo Baptists right it's the closest to it because it's really it's this idea that parents are not in charge 
of their children's decision. Right. And I've seen it all the way down into toddlerhood. I mean, it's embarrassing and, again, infuriating when you've got some mother helplessly going, well, you know, there's only so much I can do with this toddler. I mean, he just screams, and we've he told him not to. He screams, and he kicks, screaming. and he holds his breath, and he throws things, and he yeah. just becomes unmanageable. And it's just what am I, I can supposed do. to do? And, and I remember my own mom saying to we children when we were in the house still, we would hear a woman say that, or a man maybe, but usually a mom would say something like that. And she would say, if she thinks that it's hard for her to control her toddler while she can still pick him up and move him places, mm -hmm. she's going to have a real heck of a time when he's 15 and stealing the car. Right. Like, that's true. That That's the kind of thing that I heard that's true. <laughs> growing up. All you got to do is just pick him up. Pick him up right now. He only weighs about 40 pounds. But, just hoist him but up. But they and... feel bad about that because, again, the secular wisdom is that that's authoritarian in a bad way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's it's cruel. You are enforcing your will upon another person. Right. You know, it's it's just you shouldn't do that. It's dictatorial right. and, and, and abusive. What, we are putting our finger on in the podcast in the unplugged Knox unplugged podcast is that that sentiment is also prevalent in many evangelical churches. Right. No. And, and non-evangelical, <laughs> no, just many talking, churches in general. I was talking specifically about evangelical churches. Mm -hmm. I don't even know how, how much more prevalent it is in non-Christian circles because I've mainly existed in Christian circles my mm -hmm. whole life. The, the women I'm describing are all churchgoers to right. a T like, not a one of them is a secularist, right? Or um, they, they would they would say that they, they are say they're not that they're Christians, right? So so there you have it, you know, and and yeah, how do you describe them in a way that's like it's concise and that gets everybody on the same page immediately? I don't know that you can. I think that's why we have to have the conversation it's, where we clarify and we or we have qualify. to have this con this podcast and the other dozen of podcasts that have been done around there are, this. Subject. There are a whole bunch of people who are like, oh. We don't accept. We don't accept anything less from our children than behaving in a Christ-like manner, and we're offended. And it's like, why? We weren't talking about you. Like, right. if you're talking about discipling your kids and treating them like a Christian ought to be treated, and and having those expectations like then, a Christian ought to then have, then you are unnecessarily <laughs> angry. You're not the one that we're talking about, right? But I can give you lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of examples of people who are literally afraid to discipline their kids, and then they mm -hmm. grow up and they become. These wild, well, you know, in, in wild my, horses. In my experience as I was growing up, and I'm an old guy now, but th what they said was, uh, I don't want them to be resentful. I don't want to drag my children to church because then they'll resent it when right. they get older. And they would just declare that as like, as a gospel truth. Right. If I make my child go to church with me, then he will stop going to church and he will be super mad at me for forcing it on him and again, later. It's maddening because I have conversations with people now, not often because I'm busy doing the parenting thing and I don't spend as much much time talking about parenting as I maybe could. Um, but if I now and then have a conversation with a person who disagrees with me, they almost always are like, oh, you're going to regret it. Someday right. you're going to regret the way that you've you know treated these kids. They're, they're going to resent you. They're not going to want to go to church. They're going to see right through all this religious nonsense and they're going to, you know, they're going to pack up and you'll never see them again. They're going to hate you. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, whatever you think. But I know that 20 years from now, what happens when my kids are still faithful and their kids are not, 
It's like they've completely forgotten that entire conversation. Well, you'll just have been lucky. Yes. You'll just have been one of the lucky few that uh, had yes. children that never rebelled. Yes. Your, your children didn't have a spirit of and rebellion. I won't them. have the right to cast a stone because I haven't walked a mile in their shoes. And so until I have a child who's an evil apostate, all I cannot you, All you have anything. to do is send them back to this podcast where we have been interrupted time and time again <laughs> by your rebellious children I trying to children exert their will. I just, I followed the advice that I tried to get you to follow, too, when all of our children were young together, and you had no use for any of my information. Right. That's all. But yeah, they'll rewrite history, and that's the part that's frustrating. Like, again, I remember high school. You know, it doesn't really seem like it was that long ago. And I hear the parents now. I'm still in contact with many of them. It was a small school, small churches in the area, you know, and people are still around, many of them. And so through Facebook and other social media, I still can hear some of the rationalization and the things that some parents are saying when their kids fly off the deep end. And Mm -hmm. it's like, were you there? Because I was there. And it's almost like the way that you're describing things. Oh, I just did the best that I could. It's like, no, you were adamant that anybody who tried to tell you otherwise in your parenting was just was busybody, you know, gossip, messing. Or or wrong. They just didn't know what they were talking about. Right. You wouldn't take any advice right. from anybody and so now to to go back and go well i did the best that i could it's like you're still doing it you're still doing exactly what you did you know 15 20 30 years you're ago ju- you're not being honest you're not you're not doing the best that you can you're doing right. you're protecting yourself and you're pr- protecting your own ego but you're not really doing the best you can right because the best you can would be to be honest about what's going on and uh, and then start to hold yourself responsible for what you're responsible for. And then I guess the the conversation needs to be had. Is there, uh, what, what are, what is the child's, uh, when does a child become of an age of accountability? If there even is such a thing. Um, I don't think that it's probably a, a number of days or years but there, there comes a point where you as a parent are hoping that your child will be independent and will be able to make decisions, good decisions and right decisions uh, on their own. That's what you're trying to raise them to do. Right. But in order to, in order to do that, uh, you have to understand that until they're able to make good decisions on their own, you have to make those decisions for them. And it's all of the decisions. Right. And that's what parents are increasingly not good at doing. Right. They don't set curfews. They don't, they don't tell their children that they can't eat junk food. They don't tell their children right. that they can't play video games. They don't tell their children that they have to uh, do chores. Uh, and they don't tell their children that they, they don't teach them to go to the toilet. That they, they need don't to get teach baptized. them to get rid of their pacifiers. They don't take the pacifiers away from them. No, not anymore. They don't. Yeah, they let them decide how long they want their hair to be and right. what color they want it to be. Whether or not they want to get a piercing, <laughs> whether or not yeah. they want to get a tattoo, and then eventually whether or not they want to they want to sleep with their boyfriend or girlfriend. Whether or not they are boys and girls, all of and that is, right. I think, what Jason's point was that we have we the church has been implicated in being part of this because the church has not been a city on a hill we've not been a we've not been demonstrating for this lost culture how to become a benevolent dictator of your children 
Boss your kids around. Yeah. For Jesus. Boss them around, upset them, make them make them yell and scream, you, you're awful. All, all of that is what good parents face from time to time. Yep. Yep. Tabby and I were talking about this yesterday for Just Because I Love You Day um, because she was talking about how her four-year-old, who's her oldest, was so difficult. She's still difficult, but she was like remembering when it first became apparent that she was going to have to, Tabby was going to have to like, bring the hammer down on Marcy draw lines all the time and she's like yeah. I just feel like I'm fighting with her all the time and I was the one who told her yeah yes. like you're gonna actually have to do it more often if you want to see that number reduce in the future you're right. actually gonna have to fight her even more because she has to know who's in charge I mean she has to know that there is no time there's never gonna be a time she has where to she lose fight down. after fight yes. after fight after fight and always lose yes never win yes she has to hate it more than you do right. to fight eventually and I said you know you'll get there but but for me my kids are a solid what eight years older my oldest is like seven years older than her oldest Mm -hmm. and so I was telling her like it's a long time before you really can look back and see great progress because every once in a while you still have a you'll still have a day where those boundaries get tested Right. It takes everything in you not to go, oh, we have completely... Res- we've it's com- all gone. <laughs> we haven't made any progress <laughs> We're ever. back at square one. Yep. Yeah. Because it seems like it sometimes. But but yeah, I don't think that people... People don't have a stomach for that. And they think that it's... <laughs> Tabby was saying yesterday, she goes, there are some people who think that they're better parents than I am right now because their kid screams and cries less than mine. Right. And I was the one right. who told her that you can actually use how unhappy your children are as a measure of success for a time in a season, depending right. on the circumstance. Because your children, when they're really young, always want to do the wrong thing. Right, because they always they want to do always want to do something they're not supposed to do. Right. So, so if your kid is unhappy with you, it's because you're doing their job in that case. It's because and you're pointing out that they're not supposed to be doing whatever it is they want to do. There are people who don't believe me about that. But she right. said she was at the park and she saw a couple of parents who had a little girl who threw her candy wrapper on the floor and or on the ground outside mm. and both parents said hey hey come back and pick this up you can't just throw trash on the ground come back and pick this up little girl who's like two maybe three literally gives them like this little sauntering you know twirl she like turns on her toes and like shakes her hip as she walks in the other direction just mm-hmm. whoop, turn go bye-bye we've and, like, all seen that shakes the hips as she goes past right and and tabby was like these parents were like, oh, what are you going to do? And just let her walk away. <laughs> That's yeah. a doomed child. Let her walk away. And so Tavi was like, you know, these are the same types of parents who I know think that I'm doing things the absolute hard way for no reason because I fight right. those battles. It's just easier to go pick up that candy wrapper yes. and throw it away, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Isn't and that easier? For a time. Sure. And yeah, I, I just don't think that people realize that you know, there's payoff that you're actually just pushing it to the future. You're, you're leaving it for the future when it's, when the battles get worse. When it's going to be, and eventually it, you will, you cannot win them. Eventually you cannot win those battles because you laid a foundation of inconsistency. When they look at me because their 18 year old is living with their boyfriend and they're like, what are you going to do? I'm like, well, yeah, what are you going to do now? Well, now it's too late. You should have done it when they were a toddler. Here comes Silas again. I knew this was going to happen. I was, 
I have to apologize again to Carl for telling him that I thought everything was going to be smooth as silk moving forward. I just could not have been more wrong. But there's a lot, a lot of emotion. Did you hear that? Emery quit. I wanted to play Spider-Man and Emery quit. Silas. How am I supposed to be Spider-Man forever, she says. How am I supposed to be Spider-Man forever? That's a fair question. That's a fair question. At some point when you play Spider-Man, you really should set an ending time that you can both agree on. What's funny about Emery is she's been Spider-Man for like a solid 48 hours now. And Mm -hmm. she came in yesterday looking for the costume. And she goes, I got to find Spider-Man costume. I promised Marcy I'd be Spider-Man. And I said, okay, but we got to finish this thing we were working on for school. And it was a good 20 minutes later before we were finished with the thing. And then she puts down her pencil and she goes, now can I go and get Spider-Man? I promised Marcy. She like remembered the whole time. And she, the whole rest of the day, she would like bound out the door. Sometimes she'd be without the costume and other times she would have it on again. And so like every time you glance at her, you didn't know what you were going to get. But like every now and then she'd come through the door and Tabby and I would kind of be like, Hey, Emery, you know, how are you? And she'd be like, good. And then like three minutes later, she'd run back out again. This time she's Spider-Man. Well, she did promise Marcy. Yes. She did promise that she was going to be Spider-Man. So we'd be like, hi, Emery, how are you? And she'd be like, good. And then she'd come back and we'd go, bye, Spider-Man. And she'd go, bye. (laughs) (laughs) That's the advantage of being. Transformation complete. Being young, right. You can be Spider-Man when you feel like it and then you can drop the charade. Silas will literally say, I'm Sonic today, or I'm a cat today. Like, yeah. he'll interrupt a lesson for that. Right. Mom, well, he's, mom, he's mom. done that to me, too. He'll come over and announce what what uh, identity he has taken on. Yep. And I have to refer to him that way. If And if he's good, then I will. But I'll tell him sometimes, I can't call you Sonic right now, or I can't call you Kitty Cat, because... Because you need to do this you're thing. You're not listening well enough right. for that. So Right. So anyway. Uh, it's all part of the discipline. But anyway. So, there, so you do put some parameters and some boundaries on his identifying his who he is and what he's going to do and what he's not going to do. Yes. Well, I don't want him to get the idea that he can transform into anything in the universe as to a way av- to control me. To avoid, yeah, yeah going to his room. To get or, my attention. Right. And then he now ha- now he gets to be the game master, the, the dungeon master. Or, right. Is that what it's called? Oh, you can't discipline me now. I'm a cat. Yeah. You can't punish cats. Right, because again, that's the trans ideology in a nutshell. Oh, you can't make me wear a dress. I'm a boy now. Oh, right. you can't you can't tell me that I have to marry right. this gender because I'm that gender now. Right. You know? I'm, I am fluid. You can't tell me I have to do my homework because I have mental health issues. And why do I have mental health issues? Because everybody at school is mean to me. And why is everyone at school mean to me? Because they're they discriminating against me. they tell me what to me. do because they won't use my pronouns. For my sexual orientation. They just don't, they, they aren't respectful of it. By the way, did you see that yep. uh, video? Uh, did you see the video about the neo pronouns now? New pronouns? Uh, I don't think so. It's this drag queen or this guy who cross-dresses, who he's non-binary, he tells us. But he wants you to understand. First of all, if you're an ally and you're watching this video, thank you for trying to understand the community better. It's uh, thank you. Uh, and neo-pronouns, what are they? Thank you for making People me the asking, center of your attention. What are they? No, he's not a guy who uses neo-pronouns. He uses they, them. But, but. Um, but some people use neo-pronouns. What is this? Well, oh, no, sorry. Neo-pronouns are like words that maybe are Z or Zer or, you know, 
a man, random amalgamation they, they of were They're words that don't have any meaning. Those are neo pronouns, new pronouns. Then xeno pronouns. This is my favorite. Xeno pronouns. These are pronouns that where a person identifies with these pronouns, but they're, they are words in, that are pronounced in such a way that human language cannot pronounce them. Mm. No thoughts, no words, no no vocalizations. You can't write them. And he goes, and the nature of them, I couldn't, couldn't give you an example because by definition, you can't really talk about them in any other way. Right. But they might tell you they have Zeno pronouns. So why are we talking about them so if we really can't? It's beautiful and spiritual in a way them. because, you know, much like gender, we don't always have the ability, the language to really describe it. <laughs> so we're trying to talk about things that are impossible to talk about. Okay, but we do as Christians know about that, right? Do you understand the parallel and why this actually is significant? Because God himself is a being that we can't describe in human language, right? You understand that, that we can't really be critical of the idea that language is limited to describe certain things. What we do need to be critical of is the fact that human beings are not things Human that beings can be described describe. in language. Right. And that gender is not is not the type of spiritual religious experience that cannot be described. That's in indescribable, human right? Right. God is, and so if you're describing your pronouns as godlike, then you've got what's called an idol. I have a word for that: idolatry. It, you are setting yourself but up as a false. The deity. reason I even bring it well, up, well, you don't remember this, but years ago there was a musician who went by the name of Prince. Yeah. Which was not his actual name. And he changed that name. To a symbol. To this symbol that was unpronounceable. Right. And, and, and right. that lasted for a little while. And then he went back to. Back to Prince again. Prince. Because it was a pain in the end to I, try to. I bring it up because then when somebody else who was a conservative uh, saw that video, they said, oh, it reminds me of, uh, is it Fred or Eric or Frank? I don't know. I can't remember now the guy's first name, but it was a sketch from uh, Hugh Laurie and... And, and Stephen Fry. Yes, Fry Stephen and Laurie. Fry. Did you watch that? Yeah, I did watch that. <laughs> Where he's giving I his personal that. information to a police officer who's making a report. Yeah, and his, he, and his, his name, name is, is just this sound. He, pull, he pulls a thing out. Like a lighter. He pulls a lighter out of his pocket and just drops it on the yeah. counter. <laughs> with the, and the sound that it makes is his name. Is his last name. <laughs> right. He goes, he goes what, what did you do that for? And he said... Well, it's my name. He said, your name is, and then he drops it again. And he goes, yes, precisely. And then he's like, well, how do you spell that, mister? And then he drops it again. And he goes, just like it sounds. How do you man. spell it? Well, like it sounds. It's just as it sounds. Uh-huh. Uh, so anyway, that's... What's funny about that, and funny in a sort of tragic way, is I actually had a stand-up bit that I did for a little while about yeah. changing my name to a dance and then I would do the little dance on stage. Mm -hmm. um, and it kind of worked. It so, People right. sort of thought it was funny because the they saw the is, silliness of it. I'm going to want to put this in the description of the video, and I can't. I'm going to I'm going to want to put this as part of the title of our podcast, like in the parentheses. I usually do a parenthetical that refers to something silly that we talked about. And I won't be able to unless unless I tell you the second part of the video where, where Hugh Laurie's character does tell the police officer how to spell his name. Mm -hmm, I saw that. And he says, "It's just this line of letters." No, it's N I P P L hyphen hyphen L. No hyphen E. He goes, "Well, that spells nipple." He goes, "No, it doesn't." Nipple. And then Lori goes, 
No. Well, I beg your pardon. Where? <laughs> Who? And he's offended. Where's a nipple? And he he's goes, well, offended that's by it. It spells nipple. N-I-P-P-L-E. And he goes, hyphen E. Hyphen E. That spells nipple. It spells nipple. No, it doesn't. It does not. It does not. You're supposed to be an officer of the law. You can't even spell. <laughs> So maybe now I can. Well, I we've can got a whole, you got a whole generation Nipple. of people that want to do that. You know that they want their name to be in, unpronounceable, un, right. un, unspeakable, comprehensible. Right. All powerful, omnipresent, <laughs> omnipresent, omnipotent. Hmm. Imagine everlasting. Uh, From glory so yeah. to glory. The comedian next door, uh, Baptist. Let's see, Baptist, Pedo Baptist. You trying to think of a high to title this episode? Parentheses. Mr. Nipple. <laughs> <laughs> N-I-P-P-L hyphen E. <laughs> That's what it's going to be. I think. Mis- parentheses, Mr. Nipple. <laughs> I always, Only it's not nipple. It's... It's... it's <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that I has can, water in it. Don't I drop it. I was trying to drop something that would make that sound. <laughs> I don't have anything. That would do it. I don't have anything, Carl. Here, wait. It's Mr. Yeah. That sounded pretty close. <laughs> How do you you spell it? Uh, Anyway, yeah, the church, what I was going to say at the very beginning was that the church is uh, is responsible. If you're going to have an impact on the culture, then you have to be prepared to admit when uh, when your impact is either not working or you're having a negative impact when your right. when your programs and your policies and your teachings are hurting people and right. making families fall apart then you have to own that well, and, and not just get mad at the people who are critical and that's say the oh, we're doing the work of the lord why, why don't you just mind your business why don't you just hate your sin and i'll hate my sin and we'll love each other but as soon as you start criticizing people's ministry it's like you're you're talking about things that are forbidden or they're parenting, but that's that's the struggle now. Is nobody nobody really knows who's responsible for bringing up children? I noticed this in education for a long time, where teachers are like, "We're gonna make the world a better place." We talked about this with Peter Heck briefly too. Mm-hmm. Like, We're gonna change the world. We are the powerful. You know, we mold minds. We're a powerful force in this culture. We're educators, and then like kids are failing and basic you know, basic math and reading skills they can't handle. Mm-hmm. And the teacher's like, well, don't look at us. They're coming from broken homes. Right. And it's like, okay, so the homes are the places that actually mold the minds. Oh, right? right. So now we say that. the church The church says things like, well, we need to strengthen our families because the families are the building block of the culture, and it's very important. God gives the responsibility to parents in order to disciple their kids. Very okay. well. Well and good. Then the kid grows up, you know, they're 25, and they no longer identify with the gender that they were assigned at birth, and they aren't christians they're atheists and they you know think that their parents are cultist quacks and it's like now what like now what do do the parents then say yep i'm sorry the buck stops here it was it was my duty it was my job i'm going to step down from leadership i'm not going to keep trying to offer advice to other younger parents on how to raise oh you're talking about to to the church leaders you said the parents yeah, if they're well, I'm assuming that most parent, most church leaders are also parents. Well, it's right, like you're not, we don't have. It's not like right, Catholic but the, clergy. But they don't. They don't. They, right. they they don't. They they don't actually do any sort of research or keep any statistics to see how they're doing. That's what I'm saying. Their program, you know, we've got all of these impact programs, and we don't look to see 
what's happening. We don't look to see if they're being effective or not. All we do is we, we take a general gauge on Sunday morning and we see how many little faces there are out there. I tried we mentioning go, Oh, we're really, really having an impact on this culture. And I tried bringing up the shocking statistics about the numbers of high school students who would go off to college and be no longer Christian within right. six months. I talked about it with a group, a room full of leadership and actually ended up asking point blank if your programs if these things that are supposed to help you know curb that trend are not working if they're not working and you're actually going in the wrong direction and maybe even making things worse how would god tell you that right how would god get a hold of you and get you to recognize that actually your program is not only not working the way that you think it is but it's hurting it's making things harming. worse yeah and yeah, so how would god tell how would tell god you tell you that, you that? And he said that one guy in particular said, that's a really great question. I'd have to think about it and get back with you. And it's like, yeah. And you should have thought about it. Like before you started implementing the program, it should actually haunt you. It should actually be a thing that keeps you awake at night. Because if you are, if you are proclaiming that you are leading people to the Lord, that you're nurturing families, that you're growing families, that you're having an impact on the community and 80% 80% of the people that go through your youth program are not Christians when they right. go to college. Right. That should haunt you. Yep. And so I guess, long story short, my understanding now. <laughs> Except it really wasn't that short. It my, was the well, whole I'm podcast. about to make it as short as I can. I think, I think my understanding now of pedo-baptism is parents and the church officially taking the responsibility for the discipleship of the child and saying, yes, the buck does stop here and... You shouldn't you shouldn't take that decision it's, or take that responsibility lightly because you are going to be judged. It's if not just dunking kids in if water. If your kids are of the apostates in, you know, 15 years, people are going to be talking about it. Right. I and mean, they really are going to be looking at you and going, all right, what can we learn about what not to do from this example? Because we don't want it to be the norm. Well, we don't want this easier. to be the thing that everybody on Facebook whose kids graduated from the same school as Amanda are but talking about. But that's the about. reason credo baptism is, or, or the... the Credo, whatever it is, is better for people because it's more comfortable. You could, because then you can shrug your shoulders and go, well, they have you know, free will. who's in charge? You know, right. I can't force them. I can't, I can't force them to follow Jesus. Know, and so it's, there's a safety in saying, right. ah, it's not my problem. But that's what I'm saying. My understanding is that the, the pedo-baptism perspective is actually with both eyes open saying, yeah, I'm the one who is taking charge of the molding of this child because the bible says that if you train up a child in the way they should go when they're old they will not depart from it and and i'm tired of seeing everybody in the church saying well except my kid my kid departed from it (laughs) the The bible's wrong with my kid like like i get that there are black sheep like i get that that's a thing there's prodigals and things like that of course there are but but the prodigal came back (laughs) this is like everybody like everybody's kids are leaving and not coming back (laughs) We've got to take some responsibility. Uh, Amen. Amen, Peach. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks for visiting the Comedian's House. If you want to spend more time with our family, you can follow John Branion on YouTube and Facebook. Also email nextdoor at johnbranion.com with your comments and questions. We'll see you next time.